I'll invite you to turn to two openings of Scripture this morning. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 and John chapter 4 and verse 24. We've been uh, talking, teaching on the last, for the last number of weeks a series that we've entitled The Spirit-Led Life. It's one thing to be filled with the Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. That's a Bible experience that's available for us today just like it was in the days of the, the book of Acts, in the days of the disciples, the early days of the disciples and the apostles. It's available to us just like the salvation experience was available to them. So too does the, the baptism of the Holy Ghost belong to us today. But there's a difference in being baptized or filled with the Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in other tongues, and living a Spirit-filled life. I show you a lot of people that, uh, that speak in tongues that, uh, that don't know the leading of the Holy Spirit within themselves. They don't know how to hear the voice of God. They don't know how to be led by the Holy Spirit into victory in every area of their lives. And that is God's ultimate plan. Jesus came to restore back to as much as possible back to the original creation when God made Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden in a, in a perfect environment. He walked with Adam in the cool of the day. He talked with him. He spoke with him. He directed him. He gave into his hand the authority of everything that he created here on the earth. But all that changed when sin entered into the scene. Now Satan is the god of this world, the Bible tells us. And as a result, we're always going to have to deal with the presence of sin here in our lives and even the experience of sin in our bodies. But that doesn't mean we can't walk in victory. In fact, we can and should, and that's what Jesus died for, is for us to be restored to a place of victory so that we can walk with God in the cool of the day for us too. And it can be cool all day long. Amen? So that's what God intends for us, and the Bible gives us instruction on how to get there. First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 Paul says, by the Holy Ghost and the very God of peace, sanctify you wholly. Now, if you're not reading along, this is the word W-H-O-L-L-Y, meaning entirely or completely, not the word H-O-L-L-Y. He's talking about the entirety of man. The very God of peace, sanctify you wholly or entirely. And I pray, God, your whole, entire spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells us how man is made. God should know he's the one that made him. Now, I know this doesn't line up with all the, the psychology experts. And there are many others that have different ideas. But God, being the creator of man, tells how man is created. He's created this spirit being. He has a soul and he lives in a body. And we've talked about the difference between spirit, soul, and body to some degree. And, uh, uh, and last week we began, uh, well, I guess a couple of weeks ago, we began talking about the development of the human spirit. Now, uh, if you'll look with me to John chapter 4, I think I gave you John 4.24 as a reference as well a beginning point this morning. Jesus is talking to the woman at the well of Samaria. And she's got some questions about worshiping God because there was a, there was a disagreement, there was a controversy in her day, uh, their day, about what the Jews said about worshiping God versus what her people said about worshiping God. Now, Samaritan was um, a tribe of people that had intermarried with the Jews, which was forbidden under the Old Testament, the, under the law of Moses. But as a result, they had, and, and here's the only reason, God's not against people and he didn't tell the Jews to separate themselves because they were better than anybody else. He told the Jews to stay separate from everybody else so that they wouldn't take on other people's gods. It was a worship issue, not a racial or an ethnic issue. But that's what had happened with the Samaritans. They had um, uh, intermarried with the Jews 
And as a result, they had some Jewish religion, some law of Moses that they tried to keep, and then other false god stuff that they tried to hang on to, too. And as a result, they didn't know what was up. So that's what she questioned Jesus about. Where do we worship? Is it in this mountain? Is it where the Jews say we're supposed to go, etc.? And Jesus uh, answers the question for her, but uh, the, the thing that's pertinent to our discussion this morning is verse 24. Jesus tells us about God. Now, who's going to know more about God than Jesus? I think this is reliable information coming from Jesus talking about God the Father. Wouldn't you agree? Notice what he said. He said, God is a spirit. Notice he did not say God is spirit. He said God is a spirit. God's not like the clouds in the sky without form and, and, and all this kind of stuff. He says God is a spirit. Well, that tells us that man is made in his image then, doesn't it? Because man is made a spirit being. Man is a spirit. It's the only thing that God created that is a spirit being, which makes man a higher class of being than anything else, which disproves by itself the idea of evolution. You can't evolve from non-spirit being to a spirit being. One of the things that God said about the creation was everything would produce after its own kind. If it doesn't start off as a spirit, it can't become a spirit. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. (laughs) I know the world doesn't understand this, but the Bible says that the natural man can't receive the things of the Spirit of God. So the world's never going to have answers. They're just going to act like they've got them. And that's fine. Let them think whatever they want to. We'll all see one day. Jesus said, John 4, 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must. Everybody say must. We can accept then that he's not talking about a suggestion, right? He's saying there's one way, and this is the only way, and here's how it is. They that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. He said there's one way to worship God. Now, folks, I would submit to you that the American church doesn't agree with that. Because they're worshiping God in all kinds of ways. Yet Jesus said there's one way to worship God, and that is in spirit and in truth. Now, in spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about human spirit. He's talking about worshiping God from your spirit. That means worshiping God from your mind or your soul. The soul is identified in Scripture as the mind, the will, and the emotions. That means you can't worship God with your mind. That means you can't worship God just with your will alone. That's good to have your will dedicated and committed to God, but your will in and of itself is not enough. He says you can't worship God through your emotions. How much of the church world is worshiping God through emotion? I would suggest it's a large amount. Because that's what we want to do. And that's so often that's what worship is about. That's what singing songs and praise and worship and what the church world calls praise and worship is all about. They don't have any idea. For the most part, most Christians have no idea what words they're singing. Just listen to Christian radio and you can identify that. So much of the Christian songs out there contradict the word. Yet people say, oh, isn't that great? Isn't the praise and worship just wonderful? Well, no, it's not. Because God doesn't consider it to be worship. Unless it's from your spirit and according to truth. Now, in John 17, verse 17, Jesus in his prayer to the Father says, sanctify them, talking about the people of God, sanctify them through thy word, thy word is truth. Or sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So when Jesus says in John 4, 24, that you must worship God in spirit and truth, and then he says in John 17, 17, that the word of God is truth, he's got to be talking about the same thing. Doesn't he? He's not going to mean one thing in John 4, and then 13 chapters later mean something else by the word truth. So he's saying there's only one way to worship God, and that is from your spirit and the word. 
That means anything contrary to the word of God is not worshiping of God no matter what. I don't care how well-intentioned somebody is. If it's contrary to the word, it's not worship. I'm so glad you're comforted by my words this morning. (laughs) Folks, it's true. How much, therefore, of this church entity stuff that we've got going on, especially in America, is a wasted effort? I'd hate to attach a percentage to that. So Jesus said that there's only one way to worship God, and that is from your spirit and the word or through the word. That means the development of your spirit has got to be of paramount importance when it comes to worshiping God. Amen? Well, we've talked a lot about uh, some different things. We've talked a little bit about some different things. We've talked about the difference between spirit, soul, and body. We've talked about the identification of the spirit of man. We've talked a little bit about the development of the human spirit, and there are four steps to developing your spirit. Let me go through those again real quickly. We've talked about them over the last couple of weeks. Step number one is to meditate in the Word. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. Now, the word meditate, one meaning of the word meditate anyway, the world thinks of meditating as emptying your mind. That's not what the Bible means when it uses the word meditate. I think most Christians have an advantage, a head start on that anyway. Most of their minds are about half empty as they start. They start from the start. Meditate according to the Scripture means to say, to mutter, to say to yourself again and again and again. And that's what he's telling Joshua. Don't stop saying the word. Why? Because it's through the speaking of the word. It's through you speaking the word to yourself that causes the word to come from your head to become a part of your spirit. It stops from being mental knowledge and becomes being spiritual truth. And there's only one way you can get the word of God from the page to become a part of your spirit, into your spirit, and that is through meditating, by saying the word to yourself again and again and again. So step number one is meditating the word. He goes on in Joshua 1.8 to tell us what the second step is. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. That sounds like a full-time job to me. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night. For what purpose or to what end that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein? Step number two to developing your spirit is to do the word. Be a doer of the word. James 1.22 says, but be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. See, just knowing the word of God from a mental standpoint does not mean the word is going to work for you. And that's why so much of the church world fails to get answers to their prayers. They fail to get the results that the Bible says Jesus died for us to have. Because they never get it from mental knowledge or mental assent. They agree that, yeah, the Bible says this, but it's not working in my life. Because they don't get it into their heart by meditating and they don't, be a, they don't become a doer of the word by putting it in practice. And that's the only way the word's ever going to work for you is by being a doer. So back to Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. To what end? That thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous. Here's the result of meditating and doing the, doing the word. Then thou, shalt medi- then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. It doesn't even say God makes your way prosperous. It doesn't even say God brings you success. It says you make your way prosperous, and success comes to you through the action of the word. Now, that brings us to step number three in developing the human spirit, and that is give the word first place. Now, I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 4 for this one. Proverbs chapter 4. This is the wisdom of Solomon. 
Some people disagree whether or not Solomon wrote Proverbs or David wrote Proverbs. As far as I'm concerned, it doesn't matter. It's the truth that Solomon learned that made him the wisest man on the world. Whether he's telling us the truth that he learned or he's telling us what, or David is telling us what he taught Solomon, his son, doesn't matter. It's the truth that caused Solomon to be the wisest person in the world, in the world before Jesus came. Now notice in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20, it says, My son, attend unto my words. What does that mean? That means give the word first place. If you're attending to something, that means you're giving that a priority in your life. You're focusing on that more than any other thing. My son, attend unto my words. How do you do that? How do you put the word of God first place? That is the third step, is give the word of God first place in your life. Step number three to developing your spirit is give the word of God first place in your life. How do you do that? Well, he tells you, incline your ear unto his sayings. Listen to what the Bible says above, any, above anything that anybody else ever says. Your first thought as a Christian should be, what does the Bible say about any situation that you encounter? What does the Bible say? Well, I don't know, Pastor Mike, but so-and-so, preacher so-and-so over here said this. Well, preacher so-and-so might be wrong. What does the Bible say? Heaven and earth will pass away, but God's word will never fail. The word's the only thing you can count on, folks. Don't take my word for anything. Check it out from the Bible. If the Bible says something different than what I'm saying, then throw away what I'm saying and go with the Bible. Because that's what's true. Jesus didn't say everything every preacher preached about the word is truth. He said the word is truth. Amen? You guys aren't going to respond to anything I say today, are you? That's okay. As long as I know, then I know what to expect. Okay, Proverbs 4, verse 20. My son, attend unto my words. Give the word for God first place. How do you do that? Incline your ear unto my sayings. Next verse, verse 21. Let them not depart from before thine eyes. In other words, keep the word of God before your eyes. Now, the Jews have taken this to such an extreme that they've got a little box. I think they call it a phylactery. They've got a little box that they tie around their head, and they have little scriptures, little tiny scriptures, little teeny, 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 tiny scriptures stuck in that box, and they're keeping that before their eyes. Well, folks, that's ignorance gone to seed. <laughs> that's not what the scripture means. It means see yourself with what the Bible says is yours. See yourself as a doer of the word. If the Bible says that healing belongs to you, then see yourself well. That means, that's what it means. Let the, not the word depart from before your eyes. If the Bible says you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, I don't care if you're sinning 5,000 times a day. See yourself as righteous. Why? Because you don't judge things by your experience. You judge things by the truth, which is the word of God. And the more you see yourself with what the Bible says you have or in the way the Bible says you are, the more you'll live up to it. But if you always see yourself as sick, you're going to stay sick. If you always see yourself as a sinner, you're going to stay a sinner. You're going to continue to sin. You're really not a sinner, but you're con you'll continue to sin. That's what it means. Let not the word depart from before your eyes. See yourself the way the Bible says you are. See life the way the Bible says things are. You know, I... Um, um, from time to time... I have been outspoken about things like politics. And boy, I catch a lot of flack for it. Man, as soon as some of those shows hit TV, the cards and letters pour on in. And it's an amazing thing how people, you know, it was a, it was a real amazing thing to me. Um, 
and, and really, I, I, on one hand, I was surprised. And on the other hand, I wasn't because I know this is the way the devil operates. But uh, with the things that I said about the, the, the election, this last election, last November, every letter I got complaining called me a racist. Every one. Nobody disagreed with me on the merit of anything I said. Every one of them called me a racist. Folks, uh, I've got news for you. I'm not white. Boy, that caught everybody's attention, didn't it? Whoa! Let me tell you what I mean by that. I'm not white. I'm not black. I'm a Christian. And it's an amazing thing to me when people hear things that they don't want to hear, how they will attack based on a different point of view. Now, here's what I mean about being a Christian. I know a lot of people claim to be Christians and they don't live like it. But I'm a Christian and here's what I mean. I mean what the Bible means by being a Christian. I put the word of God first place in my life. And here's what that means. That means I look at everything in life through the prism of the word. Politics is not about Republican versus Democrat. For me, as a Christian, I filter everything through the Word. So politics is about what does the Word say. So the comments I make about politics are based on what Jesus said about government. He said there's two kinds. There's the kind that controls and there's the kind that frees. So for me, every political issue comes down to not Republican versus Democrat, not liberal versus conservative. Every issue comes down to me is between or based on what Jesus said. Does it control people or does it set people free? And so when I see people that are shocked by what the guy they voted for now wants to do, I'm thinking, why are you shocked? He told you from the beginning he wanted to control you. That's all he's doing now. He's just showing you what areas he wants to control. He wants to control your money by taking it away from you. He wants to take away your guns so you can't do anything when you take away your money. Why is this hard for people to get? Folks, this comes down to that. And, and it's not just politics. It's that way for me in every area of life. I look at everything that's going on in the world around us and I say, well, what does the Bible say? People look at the Middle East and they say, oh, this is going to take some great issue of diplomacy. We've got to get the right person to Secretary of State so that they can be diplomatically representative of America. Hogwash. It comes down to what does the Bible say? The Bible tells us what's going to happen in the Middle East. I hope they get their best and their brightest to show how stupid it winds up to be because the Bible tells you what's going to happen. Everything for me as a Christian, and this is what I mean by being a Christian. I don't care what color somebody's skin is. I don't care what color mine is. doesn't matter to me. If I woke up tomorrow and be black, I'd just be ha as happy as I was today. wouldn't matter a bit to me. Because for me, everything comes through the Word, not through race, not through politics, not through anything else. And, folks, that's what giving the Word first place means. It does not mean that we take our political position or our ethnic position or our racial position and then we say we love God because we do the part of the Bible that we like. That's not being a doer of the word. That's not giving the word of God first place. It means you filter everything through what does the Bible say. Thank you. 
That's what that means. Now, notice what result it brings. It says, let the word of God not depart from before your eyes. Verse 21. uh, Keep them in the midst of your heart. Verse 22. For they, my words, are life to those that find them. You know why so many Christians live in defeat? Because they never found the word. They never put the word of God first place in their life, so they never find it to be true. For they, my words, are life unto those that find them and health to all their flesh. Now, as a Christian, I've got two guarantees from the Scripture. Now, when I say Christian, I'm using my definition. I'm not using what the, what the church calls Christian. I'm not talking about somebody who's just given their heart to Jesus. That's a great first step, but that's just the first step. That first step gets you into heaven, but it does not get you any victory here on the earth. But I've got two guarantees. I've got two promises from God. Number one, life. Isn't that what Jesus said he came to bring in John 10, 10? He said, the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and to destroy. He said, the thief has only one purpose. The devil has only one purpose. Kill, steal, and to destroy. Anything he does will kill, steal, or destroy. Anybody that's operating on his behalf will kill, steal, and destroy. That means human government that controls will kill, steal, and destroy. Folks, there's a lot of Christians that are going to have to answer for why they dedicated their lives to promoting the agenda of God's enemy. That won't keep them out of heaven. But it'll sure keep them from experiencing the benefits and the blessings of the word of God down here. I'm not going to be one of those people. I don't care how politically correct it's going to be to promote this or that or be for this person or against that person. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stick with what the Bible says. And if I'm the last one standing, I'm still going to stick with what the Bible says. I learned a long time ago not to care what people think. That works really well for me. It causes me to spend most of my time alone. But I kind of like that anyway, so I'm all right with that. Two promises. They, my words, are life to those that find them. You make God first. You put the word of God first in your life and you've got a guarantee of life, abundant life. Jesus said the thief comes not but for to kill, steal, and destroy, but I am come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. I've got news for a lot of people. Eternal life doesn't begin when you get to heaven. Eternal life is what you have now because you've made Jesus the Lord of your your life, your Lord and Savior. Eternal life is now. And the authority that goes along with it belongs to you now. The blessings of healing and prosperity and well-being in every area and victory in everything you put your hand to, that belongs to you now. Now, it's up to you whether or not you're going to experience it, but it belongs to you now. My words are life to those that find them and health to all their flesh. That means you put the Word of God first. You center your life around the Word of God, and you've got a guarantee from God's Word that you can live out your days in health, which is the very reason many Christians don't. Because they don't live by the word. They don't filter everything in their life through the word. Folks, healing is in the word. Healing is not from some unseen power that comes on you when God just happens to smile. The healing of God, God's healing power comes through the word of God and through the application of that word in your life. Now that brings us to step number four. Step number one is meditate in the word. Here's how you develop yourself spiritually. Develop your spirit, the human spirit. Meditate in the Word. Step number two is you be a doer of the Word. Doesn't do any good for you to know it if you don't do it. Step number three, give the Word of God first place in your life. Step number four, instantly obey the voice of your, of the voice of your own spirit. 
Now, a lot of people like verse the fourth step. Oh, yeah. That sounds exciting. You mean God's going to tell me what to do? Yeah, sure he will. Of course he will. He'll speak to your spirit. He doesn't speak to your mind. He doesn't speak to your body. He speaks to your spirit. And he'll tell you what to do. Now, here's the way a lot of people hear that. A lot of people hear that as God wants me well, and he does. God wants me prosperous, and he does. God wants me victorious in every area of life, and he does. God wants me to have authority over all the power of the devil, and he does. So that means step number four means that God's going to tell me what to do so that I can have plenty of money, always feel good, have everything comfortable, and never have any problems in life. Let me put that into a context that we should be able to understand. We live here in Orange County, California. A very, it used to be a very affluent area. It still is compared to the rest of the world, but, or the rest of the country rather, but things are changing a little bit. But by and large, in comparison, we're in a very affluent area of the country. One of the most affluent areas that there is. We're all familiar with, we've all either heard or have seen situations where parents who involved in their own things for whatever reason they've got their they've got their jobs going on they've got their social activities going on they don't take the time with their kids that need to be that they need to and as a result they wind up sharing their affluence with their kids to keep them busy with either cars video games and stuff like that what happens to those kids you go to, you go to any high school in this area and drive through the parking lot and it looks like a brand new car showroom and you've got all these kids that have just gotten their licenses, they've got brand new cars, they've got all this stuff, they've got everything. I, I'm sorry, young people, I know you're really going to be upset with the things I'm going to say, but it's still true. <laughs> but you get these kids that have all kinds of money, they have access to all kinds of things, and they wind up either getting on drugs, they wind up getting in trouble with the cars they've got, or whatever the case is. Why? Because the parents give them the stuff before they develop the character for them to handle the stuff. Why in the world would we think that God would do that with us? Why in the world would any Christian with, well, I guess I answered my question. I started to say with good sense. That's probably why. Nobody with good sense would think that God would give you something that's going to harm you before you develop the character to be able to handle the blessing that he brings. Yet that's where everybody wants to jump. Everybody hears these four steps. They want to jump to step four. Oh, I want to hear the voice of the, of the voice of God in my spirit. I want to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost on the inside. Okay, that's fine. Don't expect that to happen until you develop the character to handle whatever it is you want him to bring. Folks, it takes, it takes character to handle the blessing of God. The blessing of God can destroy you if you don't have the character to handle it. The Bible says the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. Well, God doesn't raise any fools. Yet that's exactly what a lot of people want to do. Now, what are they doing? They're trying to put natural or physical or earthly things first. I'm still talking about putting the word of God first place in your life. But that's the way we want it. We want God to make everything work out right in our lives, all the circumstances of life to work out right, and then we'll put the Word of God first. Folks, it doesn't work that way. 
Step number four is not ever going to happen for you unless you put steps one, two, and three in practice first. Let me, uh, let me share something with you. Some of you were around here and most of you were not. So this may be new information to some. It'll be a rehash for some others. But um, when, uh, in 1993, uh, the Lord brought us uh, knowledge of this piece of property. Actually, the developer was somebody that I had become acquainted with through Brother Hagen's ministry uh, many years before when I was working there. And, um, and he had showed me this property before any of the roads were in, any of the utilities were in or anything. And he didn't bring me a map to show me where it was. And, and uh, we got in this four-wheel Jeep, whatever it was, and, uh, I mean, we're having to push down trees to get to this thing. Finally, we get to this property. It was a lot lower then. It was about they raised this property about 40 feet from the time that it first, uh, you know, in its natural state. And so we're standing on this property, and he says, he looks around, he's so proud because he owned this whole area, all of the Foothill Ranch. And he's uh, just, you know, in the planning stages for developing things. He said, Mike, look at all this. Isn't it great? I said, wow, this is fantastic. He said, you see all the way down to that? I, I own the property there. You see all the way up down to that place? I own the property up to there and all this kind of stuff. And he said, all this back up into the hills, I own that property. We're going to develop it all. He's telling me where he's going to put everything and all this kind of stuff. Well, he's, he's so excited about this project. And I'm thinking, this looks fantastic, but we're in Hemet. I really thought we were. I thought to myself, there's no way in the world I can move my church this far. I'd have to, I'd have to quit the one I've got and start another one. Because, I mean, we must have crossed the mountain somewhere. It felt like it. We were driving straight up in some places. And so I, I told him that. I said, I, I, you know, this is, it looks great. The property looks great. I said, but uh, it's too far away. I, I just, it can't work for us. Well, he went about this business developing the property. He gave us first shot at it. Uh, we didn't have anything to buy it with anyway, and, and, and besides, it was, I, I thought it was in the wrong place. So, and, and he just happened to forget his aerial photos to show us where it was in relation to everything else. So we let the property go, and he put it on the market, and the Presbyterians got a hold of it. He started developing all this stuff. Well, then I realized where this thing was, and I thought, wow, how stupid was I? But I still didn't have anything in my heart about it. So I just said, well, okay, whatever. God's got property for us somewhere. Well, in, uh, in 1993, I got another call from the developer. And he said, uh, listen, Mike, he said, I've got a piece of property. He had forgotten that he ever showed it to us in the beginning. And uh, so he said, I've got a piece of property I want to show you. He said uh, the Presbyterians had a hold of it, and they were going to buy it, but they had some problems. Their committee, one committee member messed things up despite another committee member, and it was just a big mess. And uh, so he said, they've decided to let the property go, and uh, I want you to take a look at it. I said, oh, okay, that'd be great. So he drives me out here. Now he's got all the aerial maps, all the roads are in, all the utilities are in. Nothing had been built yet, but everything was here to show us. And I walked on the, the property, and as soon as I did, there was a buzzer that went on the inside of me. I knew. I hadn't even looked around. But as soon as we drove onto the property, drove past the property line, the boundary of the property, something went off on the inside of me, and I knew, this is it. This is mine. So we get out. He shows me around. We finally piece things together, and I realize this is the same property he showed me five years earlier. He didn't remember bringing me out here, and I tried to remind him, and he said, well, okay, I'll take your word for it. I just don't remember it happening. So we got, in, got a hold of the property, signed, uh, uh, signed to buy the property, purchase the property, and, and still didn't have any money. God worked that deal out with us, and he, he helped us a little bit on it too. And uh, so then we went about our business trying to find somebody that would uh, build a building for us. So we went through the, the uh, 
bid process and got some different contractors, different five different contractors, I think it was, bidding on the property, and we finally nailed it down. And, and I prayed about it. I prayed hard. Lord, what do I do? And I knew, just as much as I knew that the buzzer went off on the inside of me when we drove up onto the property, I knew which contractor to pick. Well, we went through negotiations, signed the contract, and he was supposed to sign. He was uh, supposed to start uh, building on a certain day. Now, the date that he started was really important to us because we had to start construction by March the first of uh, 1994, I guess it was, uh, in order to avoid paying property taxes on the property. As a religious organization, we don't have to pay, pay property taxes to the county. But if we're not under construction by March the first, we have to pay those taxes. So that's a big, big amount of money for us. So we, we were putting the pressure on, you got to start in. Yeah, okay, no problem. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do it. So they got out like one or two days before the, the property tax deadline. But they didn't provide the bonds that the contract required them to, to provide. And that means if they don't pay their subcontractors, we're not liable. The contractors can't come back and say to us, we didn't pay because we didn't get our money. They didn't get their money, that kind of stuff. So it's a real big deal for us. And uh, to avoid liability. Well, they had done a half day's worth of work, less than a $1,000. They put a uh, bulldozer out here and moved around a little dirt just to say that they did something on before the date. So there wasn't any money in the project. And so we found out that they were out here, which we were glad about, but they didn't give us the bonds that we needed that the contract called for. And so we had to call them and tell them, look, you got to give us the bonds. Stop working until you give us the bonds. Well... In the process of time, a little couple of days went by. We found out they didn't have the capacity, the ability to, to provide the bonds. But they had said that they had guaranteed us in the contract that they would. So we said, well, okay, then uh, I guess forget it. You know, um, if you can't provide us the bonds, we've got to have somebody that does to pre- protect us and avoid liability. So we went about our business to look to the next contractor on the list. Well, this contractor file suit against us. After having done like three hours worth of work, one contra- one sub having done three hours worth of work, moving a little bit of dirt around, he filed suit against us for the entirety of the, the profit and the overhead in the contract. We're thinking, what in the world is going on? So we thought, well, okay, that's like a fly buzzing around your head. It's just a nuisance. We'll, get, we'll take care of that. So we went on to the next contract. We secured, took a little while, but we secured the next uh, uh, contractor on the list. And um, uh, long story short, it is a long, long story. Long story short, that first contractor's lawsuit wound up gumming everything up from that point forward because it delayed our financing. The finance company was so concerned about this outstanding lawsuit. We're saying, look, they did three hours worth of work. Nobody is going to give them profit and overhead for the entirety of the contract. They're not going to give them the profit they would have made over the entirety of the 12 or 14 months worth of contract because they did three hours worth of work when they're the ones that couldn't perform the terms of the contract. Don't worry about this. But the finance company wouldn't listen. So the delay in financing caused a delay for the second contractor and the second contractor was upside down in the contract on time and money and so forth. So he used the delay in the financing to stop work and file suit against us then. So we wound up with, at one time, we had 14 different lawsuits filed against the church. Oh, those were fun days. If you missed those, you missed half your life. No, I really mean it. You would have aged half your life during that period of time. So I... 
I'm praying about all this stuff. I mean, this was a five-year process. And for five years, we are living day to day under the threat of absolutely everything going wrong. And I, I asked the Lord about this. I said, Lord, I don't get it. You told me which contractor to pick. The two contractors he told me to pick were the ones that filed suit against us. Now, the first contractor, after five years' worth of a back-and-forth lawsuits, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on attorneys, both sides, the end, of the, result, the end result of the lawsuit was nobody's at fault. Let's act like it didn't happen. But the problem that it caused the second contractor, they won their lawsuit against us. And that cost us over a million dollars. So I'm asking the Lord, what in the world is going on? Now, during that time, during that five-year period, we lost 60% of our people. You think it's hard to build a building with people? (laughs) Try doing it without them. And I'm praying. The whole time I'm praying. Lord, what is going on? You told me to pick these people. I don't get it. I only had the Lord say one thing to me. Now, now, folks, you think I've digressed from my subject. I have not. Talking about instantly obeying the voice of your spirit. I'm trying to get to the Holy Ghost to speak to my spirit. And for five years, I didn't hear anything on this subject. I heard a lot of things about the rest of the church, other things about things going on that, uh, you know, relative to church activities and so forth. But for five years, for five years, I didn't hear anything except one word. I got one word, and that was preparation. Yeah, that'll put you over. (laughs) Preparation. Does that mean this problem is preparing me for bigger problems? (laughs) I mean, your mind will go crazy on you. So that's the only word I heard. That's the only thing I heard. And I'm talking to people. You know, there wasn't a whole lot of people that knew about it outside of our church family. And and I was honest with with people about what was going on. You know, I'd I'd share a little bit of information. Wouldn't get into the details about a lot of it because it scared me, much less scaring them. But you just see people start trickling out the door to where eventually we lost 65% of our people, the ones that we started with. Didn't add anybody during that time. I mean, it was a straight 65% right off the top. And I would, I'd share, you know, what was going on. I'd, I'd tell people, well, another, just I hate to tell you this, folks, but I've got to be honest with you, another lawsuit this week. You start hearing that week after week after week. People start thinking, well, Pastor Mike must have done something wrong. And I'm trying to get justified before the Lord. You know, hey, you told me to pick these people. These are your contractors. People on the outside of the church, the few people that knew what was going on, would say all kinds of encouraging things. (laughs) I'd have people say, Mike, you just need to pray. (laughs) Like prayer is not a full-time job for me. I'd have other people say, you need to just take authority over that thing. Well, if you just take authority over that thing, that would stop. Think I haven't done that? People say all kinds of things. Bless their hearts. Folks, be careful what you say to somebody when they're in a tough place. Don't come in there acting like you've got the answers. The Bible's got the answers. Encourage people to stand strong on what the Bible says, but don't come in there telling other people what they ought to do. You don't know what somebody else ought to do. So you get a lot of encouragement along the way, you know. Still nothing. Nothing. And so I'm asking God. I'm praying 24 hours a day. 
or whatever. Well, I'm, I'm awake most of those 24, but so whatever time I'm awake, I'm praying every day. Talking to the Lord about this. Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? Lord, what do I do? I'm trying to get the Lord to talk to me, and I don't hear a thing. I'm trying to think this thing through, and every thought I have winds up turning to dust. Every idea that I came up with and tried and pursued, nah, nothing to it. Absolutely nothing. I'm feeling like I am the last person on the earth, and God is sitting in heaven laughing at me for some reason, and I can't figure it out. I didn't know. And so there was one day in my office, I'd finished a real big pity party, I didn't know anybody's having this kind of trouble. The Baptists down the road sure weren't having this kind of trouble. Who are we? I'm a small group, small church. Nobody knew us. We weren't, we weren't a threat to anybody. Why in the world would we have this kind of problem? And so I sat there and I thought, all right, what, am, what in the world am I going to do? I was tired of feeling sorry for myself. I was tired of whining about what was going on. So I just said, all right, what would I do? And I, the only thought I had, I don't know if this is God. I don't know if this is me. doesn't matter to me anyway. But the only thought I had was, well, I got no choice but to do the word. Oh, I, need, I should tell you this. I quit thousands of times. <laughs> I've had people say, well, Mike, the reason you made it is because you didn't quit. That's a lie. I quit a bunch. <laughs> and every time I'd quit, it'd be like the Lord laughed, say, okay, where are you going? Oh, well. I can't go anywhere. This is where you sent me. So I finally quit saying I quit. It kind of became an inside joke between me and God. But I really, if, if it would have helped, I would have quit. If I had anywhere to go, I would have gone. But I finally got to the place one day. We're about halfway into this thing. I've tried everything. I've pushed every button. I've pulled every lever. And I just sat there in, in my office and I thought, what in the world am I going to do? Now, I really believe that... Um, that this was something that the Holy Ghost brought to my remembrance, but I was not aware of it at the time and wouldn't have credited, credited it to the work of the Holy Spirit at the time. But I just sat there and I got quiet, and, it, and the only way I got quiet was after I had spent enough time complaining. I'm not talking about a real spiritual position here, folks. I want you to get that point. This is not some great man of faith and power. This is a man that's tired of crying. So I, I just sat there and I just thought, count it all joy. I thought, dear God, that can't be the answer. Now, folks, I want to remind you of something. Jesus said, they that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. That means spirit as opposed to soul or body. That means truth, the word, as opposed to anything else. So I thought, count it all joy. And as soon as I had that thought, I thought, wait a minute. I remember what Brother Hankins said. B.B. Hankins was a pastor down in, uh, in Texas, a small town in Texas, but built a tremendous work. And, and the, the church that he built and pastored for 35, 40 years, however long it was before he went home to be with the Lord, the church that he built trained up so many ministers and so many churches came out of his church that it was, it, he was really an unusual minister in, in church. And I heard him say one time, people were asking him about building programs and stuff like that, and he said, guys, he was talking to a group of younger ministers, and he said, guys, he said, let me tell you something. He said, every building program I ever had, I went around behind the building and danced the money in. Well, we all laughed. We thought, dance the money in. First of all, looking at Brother Hankins dancing the money in, that you know, sounded kind of silly. And we thought he was teasing with it. We thought he was joking. And, and it went on to something else. He never really stopped and elaborated or anything else. But as soon as I thought, count it all joy, I thought, well, Brother Hankins said he danced the money in. <laughs> 
So I got in my office, shut the door, put my phones on private. This is me now, okay? You got that. I got in my office, and I started dancing. I did that for about 30 seconds. I thought, this is ridiculous. Now, folks, I've got to tell you something. I wound up doing this thousands of times. And every time there was somebody that was always there. The devil was always there for my dance lessons. And every time he told me how stupid I looked. Every time. Every time. So I did that for a few minutes, and I went and sat down, and I thought... Well, that was a poor effort, no matter what. So I got back up. And folks, you need to understand something. I mean, I, I, it, this may sound funny to you. I hate telling this story because I feel the same way now that I felt that, that, back then when I was trying to do it. My feet weighed a 1,000 pounds apiece. My arms were equally as heavy. The idea of moving my feet, the idea of lifting my hands, the idea of saying, and I didn't say a word. Don't get me wrong. I didn't start off saying a word. The idea of doing anything like this, thinking that it's going to have some kind of supernatural result, seemed to be the farthest thing away from me as humanly possible. But I started doing it. I did it three times that day. Went home. Home was not any better than, than the office. Because there was just as much pressure there. Beth was under just as much pressure about things. She had asked me, did anything happen today? Well, nothing good happened today. So, you know, what happened? Listen, I don't want to tell you. Now tell me what happened. Then I tell her. And then she'd say, why would you tell me that? <laughs> so home wasn't really much better. I mean, you know, it was tough for both of us. Next day I went back to the office. Sitting there, there was a bill waiting for me on the desk that I, we could not pay. And it was a big one. Stiff, really big. I said, Lord, what do we do about this? I'm expecting somewhere along the way for God to say, okay, time's up, and then there's a booming voice from heaven going to come and tell me the answer. Now, you've never thought that, have you? You've never thought that it was just a matter of the clock, have you? And as soon as the time's up on the clock, then God's going to tell you and everything's going to work out just right. No, I'm sure that's not your case. But it was for me. And I thought, okay, what do I do? Again, it's the Holy Ghost bringing things to your remembrance. It's interesting that Jesus said in John chapter 16, I think it's verse 13, he said, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, has come? He'll guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of the word, and he will guide you into the word. The words word and truth are interchangeable in the Bible, at least when Jesus is talking. So if he's the spirit of the truth, that means he's the spirit of the word. If he's going to guide you into all truth, that means he's going to guide you into the word. Now, we're looking for the Holy Ghost to guide us into the right investment. We're looking for the Holy Ghost to guide us into the right business deal. We're looking for the Holy Ghost to guide us to the right medicine so that then everything will work out as far as the circumstances are concerned and we'll be happy. And that's not where he leads you, at least not where he starts off leading you. Oh, but Pastor Mike... I'm believing God for finances and all the Holy Ghost is saying to me is tithe. Yeah. 
Here I need money and God's telling me to give money away. Yeah. Why? Because He's guiding you into the Word. Because the Word's your answer. The Word's your answer. Now, folks, this may seem simple to you, and you may think that I'm, I was, uh, well, may think I was unspiritual then, may think I'm unspiritual now. That's okay. I don't care. I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to show myself approved unto God, truly. But it did not occur to me that counting it joy that dancing before the Lord would make a difference in my situation. I was so embroiled in this thing. I was so buried by the circumstance that it didn't even occur to me that this is my way out. So I'm just doing it as a, as a matter of, well, here's what the Bible says. I'm simply putting the Word of God first place. And, and if you think I'm feeling anything positive about this, you're wrong. The more I did it, the worse I felt. But next day, I'd do it again. And after that, I'd do it again. Pretty soon, I'd do it, and it wasn't a chore. But it never became fun. Ever. Because I'm still under the weight of this thing. But I'm here to tell you, I danced that money in. And I never felt a dollar of it come. Do you know what I mean by that? It wasn't like I finally got to the place where I said, oh, yeah, now I got it. We got a breakthrough. I never felt a breakthrough. I never felt a breakthrough. As a matter of fact, when it worked out, when the money finally came in, and I can't even explain to you how it worked. There were times where we had money that wasn't enough to pay the bills, and somehow the bill got paid. I can't explain it to you. But I learned two things during that period of time. One thing I learned was how not to care. See how well I've learned? Now, that's hard to put on your bulletin. Foothill Family Church, we don't care. But I learned how not to care where things with the church are concerned. Now, my personal life is a different thing. i got to learn it there just as much as I have to learn it with the church. But I learned with the church. You find anybody that works for me that can find something that I care about, they come to me with a problem, you find anything that gets me wound up, <laughs> that's a rarity. Now, when I do get wound up about things, that doesn't usually turn out too well for the people that are involved. But I don't care. I learned how not to care. Now, you may think that's an unspiritual thing, but the Bible says in Philippians 4, 6, be careful for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Here's what I have determined. I determined, and I got this while I was counting it joy. I got this while I was doing my little shuffle. I got to the place where the devil would threaten me daily, hundreds of times a day. You're going to lose your church. I finally got to the place where I said, I don't really care. What are you going to do if the church goes under? I don't know. Start another one, I guess. What are you going to do? He'd show me all the people that are leaving. What are you going to do when the rest of the people leave? Well, I didn't have anybody when we started. I know what that's like. I came to the place where I didn't care. I didn't care about anything. Another bill comes. I started laughing because I didn't care. Not because we could pay it. Because I didn't care. They're going to put you in jail. I don't care. I'll have time to study the word there. I didn't care. I got to the place where I didn't care about anything. Second thing I learned. I learned we're the church that cannot die. I had to learn that from businessmen. 
Because toward the end of this thing, boy, it was all over, but toward the end of this thing, when the, the second lawsuit was coming down to the end, the first part had been all them putting on their case and stuff, and now our case is about to be presented. And so we got on a conference call with people that were experts from around the country with church finance, uh, construction experts, legal experts. We had, uh, huh? Yeah, church growth people and... We had, we had like six or seven people. I'm not sure uh, what the number was now, but we had like six or seven experts on this conference call. And everybody was there had been provided a brief of our situation, our church, and everything that had gone on. And, and we were looking for them to give us counsel on how do you think from your area of expertise, how do you think we should approach these things? And so conference call is taking place. I'm sitting in my lawyer's office. He's got the speakerphone on there, and, and people are gathered from all over the country. And the first guy that starts speaking, I think he was the uh, construction guy. And he said, well, he said, Pastor Mike, he said, uh, uh, first of all, before I make any comments, I want to tell you, I think it's a miracle that your church is alive. And I thought, yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think? Well, the next guy comes on. I don't remember who he was. And he said, listen, he said, I want to echo what the other guy said. I think it's a miracle that your church is alive. Every one of these guys started off with, I think it's a miracle that your church is alive. By the end of that thing, I don't remember what any of them advised us, but I remember thinking, it's a miracle that our church is alive. <laughs> now, folks, there's only one of the group that I know was saved. I've got unsaved people saying it's a miracle that God sustained us. That's kind of a good thing, isn't it? But here I'm starting this thing off under the pressure, under the weight of all that's taking place, all this stuff that's going on. Oh, woe is me. This isn't happening to anybody else. I must be the, the, the whatever. It's, see, it's all about me. Now, again, I, again, I know you don't have this problem, but it was all about me. But I came away from that meeting with one thought. These guys who are the best at what they do in the country. I think it's a miracle that our church is alive. Maybe it is. So, I, folks, people talk to me. I, I hear stories and things like this. This church split and that church split and this terrible thing happened to that church. Listen, we're the church that can't die. Pastor Mike, aren't you worried about a church split? Not at all. If you find somebody that you want to follow instead of me, have at it. That's okay with me. Now, people may leave our church, and they do. Of course, that doesn't have anything to do with me. <laughs> but people leave our church. People will continue to leave our church. But our church will never split. It'll never split. The Bible says without a vision, people perish. That means if you don't have one, people you'll perish. That means if you've got more than one, you'll perish. We've always had the same one. As long as we keep the same one, our church can't die. Why? Because we put the Word of God first. You put the Word of God first in your life. You'll hear everything you need to hear from the Holy Ghost, and most of it will be a reminder of Scripture. Because it's the doing of the Word that puts you over. Now, folks, there are a lot of things that the Holy Ghost talks to me. You know, it's an interesting thing. Um, Turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 5. I'm, uh, I'm running out of time. I need to start wrapping this up. 
Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to see what the Bible says here. Let's start in verse 17. It says, Wherefore be ye not unwise. He's talking to Christians, so Christians can be unwise, right? He says, don't be. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Notice he says the key to wisdom is knowing what God's will is. Now, folks, let me stop right there long enough to say, if you don't know what to do, stick with the last thing you know God told you. Just like for me, during the problems, I quit bunches of times. But where am I going to go? This is where God sent me. So as long as I keep operating according to what I know the will of God is for me, at least the last thing that I knew the will of God was for me, I'm in good grace. I'm in good stead. What I see people making mistakes in is where they give up what they know God told them to do before, chasing after something else that they don't know is what God told them to do. They do that where counsel is concerned. They'll give up what they know the Bible says because so-and-so said this. They do that where their business is concerned. They do that where business decisions are concerned, where living is concerned. I've seen people pick up and move from a place, in many cases with our church, where they know they're being fed, their family is growing, and they'll move somewhere because they hear that the job situation is better over there. And invariably, six months will go by, and they'll come back and they'll say, or give me a call, and they'll say, Pastor Mike, things aren't working out here at all. Well, of course not. Because you put, God put your family here. It's not going to work over there. God doesn't give you the choice of where you want to be planted. He's the one that plants you. You don't put a flower in the ground. The flower speaks up and says, I don't want to be over here. I want to be over there. Yet that's what Christians do. Many times Christians won't stay long enough to figure out where they're supposed to be planted so that they can't put down roots. The Bible says that God made us trees of uh, trees planted by rivers of living water, not potted plants on wheels. <laughs> Yet that's the way a lot of people live their Christian lives. They're running from this thing to this thing. They do it spiritually. They're running from church to church. Move of God to move of God. Find where you're planted. Find where you're supposed to be planted. That's what this is talking about. Be, don't be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, specifically, God's got a will for your life. He's got a plan for your life. But there's a general plan or the will of God for everybody's life. And that's what he's talking about here generally. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. This word, be, this phrase, be filled with the Spirit, is a little blind in the King James. It literally means, it's a continuous action word. It means be being filled. Another way we could say it is stay full. Stay full of the Spirit. Now, he's talking to people that speak with tongues. He's writing to people that have been baptized in the Holy Ghost, people that, that uh, speak with other tongues. He's writing to people that know about being filled with the Spirit. Now he's telling them, here's how to stay full. He's talking to them about the difference between a Spirit-filled experience and a Spirit-filled life. Folks, there's nothing greater than being filled with the Spirit except living a Spirit-filled life. And that's what he's talking about. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Here's how to stay full. Three steps. Number one, verse 19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. A Spirit-filled life is a life filled with praise, not singing songs that you know alone, not singing Christian songs off the radio that might be contrary to the Word, singing songs from your heart. 
singing songs from your spirit. Singing songs that the Holy Ghost gives you because you are a praiser, not just a singer of praises. And there's a difference. There's a difference between singing songs and praising God. There's a difference between worship songs and being a worshiper. We're talking about something that comes from within. That's what he's talking about. You're going to live a spirit-filled life, you're going to have to live a life of praise. Even if it's a little shuffle in your back room, like it was for me for so long. Second thing he says, if you're going to be a, live a spirit-filled life, Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean? He means count it all joy. He means count it all joy. You're not only going to have to be a praiser if you're going to stay full of the Holy Ghost, but you're going to have to be a person that's full of thanksgiving. And that's what counting it all joy is about. It's about being thankful in the midst of a problem. Being thankful when you fall into diverse temptations. That's what counted all joy means. Counted all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, tests, trials, or afflictions. It means being thankful. Why? Thankful for the problem? No, thankful that God is your help and your answer. I never once counted it joy that I'm in the middle of all this construction problem with the building. But I began counting it joy that God was my answer even though I am in the middle of this trouble. That He hasn't left me even if I can't feel Him. That's what that's talking about. The third thing is a character issue. The first one is praise. The second one is thanksgiving. That has to do with something expressed from your heart. The third is a character issue. Submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of the Lord. It's a character issue. You know, it's an amazing thing. Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. It's amazing to me how few know-it-alls are real spiritual people. It's also amazing to me how few people that live out of their head ever find the Holy Ghost. Because you can't. Holy Ghost doesn't live in your head. He lives in your spirit. And if you're the kind of person, and, and if you're not, you know people like this. They've always got the answers. They've always got the smug look. They're always judging everything that, sh- that you say or everything that you do because they have the answers. Folks, if you can't break through that, you'll never be a person of the word. You'll never be a person of the spirit. You'll never find the leading of God in your life. Now, now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you've got to be a know-nothing. Because I am very sure of what I know. I'm very confident in what I know to be true. But I don't know it all. Like Brother Hagin says, the more you learn, the more you see you don't know. Now, what I know, I know. And nobody's going to talk me out of what I know. And we should be strong. That's a part of the confidence that we have in God. But that doesn't mean you know everything. That doesn't mean you can't learn. And that's the real issue. Because if you know it all, what is there to learn from anybody else? Spirit-filled life is a character issue as much as it is a praise issue. Now, turn your finger, or turn with me to um, a couple of pages over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians and Ephesians are parallel books. Paul wrote them both from prison at the same time. 
He said the same thing to the Colossians as he said to the Ephesians. He just went into more detail with the Ephesians. But he's saying the same thing, but he uses a little different words, a little different terminology with the Colossians. Notice how he said it. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. He said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How? That sounds good. I want that, don't you? In other words, he's saying, put the word of God first place in your life. Give the word first place. How? Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. If we put Ephesians 5.19 together with Colossians 3.16, he's saying that speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is only going to come to pass when you make yourself a person of the word. It's a result of being word-filled. Well, if the spirit of truth is the spirit of the word, then to be full of the spirit of truth would be to be full of the word. See how we're back to where people want to hear from the Holy Ghost, but they don't want to be doers of the word? It's impossible. You're not going to hear from the Holy Ghost unless you are a doer of the word. If you don't center your life around the word, you're not going to hear from the Holy Ghost. Verse 17, and whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks unto God and the Father by him. He's talking about thanksgiving, isn't he? He's talking about thankfulness in everything you do. In whatsoever you do, have a thankful attitude. Saying the same thing to the Colossians as he said to the Ephesians. And then he starts talking about submitting yourselves. He starts talking about wives submit to your husbands, husbands, yield yourselves to your wives too. Character issue, same three things. Praise, a life of praise, because it's a life based on the word. Thankfulness in every situation you come into. That's counting it all joy. And the third is the character issue, being willing to submit. Folks, if you can't submit to one another, you're never going to submit to the voice of God. Because very often, God will speak to us in or through other people. And most of those times, it's not when they say, I've got a word for you. Here's what God's telling you. It's when they say something and have no idea what they've said. You want to be a person of the Spirit? You're going to have to be a person of the Word. You're going to have to live your life through the filter of God's word. What I mean by that is very simply asking yourself in every situation, what does the word say about this? Because if you can't determine to live your life based on what God has already said, why in the world should he tell you something else? You do the first three steps, meditate in the word, be a doer of the word, and give the word first place. Then when the Holy Ghost speaks to you, it's simple because you're used to obeying him. You're used to obeying him in the word. That's when he'll give you an idea and you'll say, wait a minute, I never thought about that before. And then you'll stop and think, well, that couldn't have been me. I don't know that. I didn't have that idea on my own because I don't have that knowledge. So it's got to be God. There's my answer. There's direction. There's him leading me into victory. You see how it works? That's why step number four is so important after the first three. 
Because if you can't learn to hear the Holy Ghost, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and, and I used a great example, one of the first places the Lord is going to talk to you is about tithing. One of the first places He's going to talk to you is about the use of your money. Now, we all want to hear from the Holy Ghost when it comes to Him bringing us money, don't we? Lord, show me what to do so I can have more money. Oh, yes, amen. Well, where's He going to start talking to you about money? How to get it? Or what the Bible says to do with it? Well, Pastor Mike, I don't want to hear any of that stuff about giving. I don't want to hear about that stuff about tithing. Okay, well, then don't expect the Holy Ghost to tell you anything about how to get money. Because that's what the Word is doing. It's telling you how to get money. You get money by paying your tithes. You get money by obeying God and giving. The Bible says if you, if you bring your tithe into the storehouse, God will open the windows of heaven to you and pour out a blessing upon you. There's, there's not room enough to receive. That's not just finances, but it includes them. It says, given, it'll be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give unto your bosom? You want people to give to you? Give to them. Give where the Holy Ghost puts it on your heart. I can remember giving nickels because that's all I had. There was one offering that came around, and if, uh, my mother will tell you about this. I was so broke when I was in my 20s. I was so broke. It was unreal. And there would be an offering that would come by, and I'd do whatever I could in any offering that came by. I reached in my pocket, and I, I, there was a little bit of change. I had 32 cents or whatever it was in my pocket. I pulled out that 32 cents and dropped it in there. I realized later that I threw in a button. <laughs> I'm not looking for a return on buttons, but it was just that way. And it was, it was painful. Oh, it was painful. I knew what the Bible said, but I'm thinking, this is 32 cents worth of gas. If I give this 32 cents worth of gas, I don't know if I can get out of the parking lot. And there were times where I'm praying over my gas needle. I'm telling you what. Believe God to get to the next place or believe God to get to the next location where I can park. Go from block to block. But that's where I started. I started giving pennies. I started giving nickels. Well, now it's easier to give pennies and nickels now. But see, people hear you talking about finances now and they look at you and they think, well, it's always been this way. <laughs> no, it hadn't. And we all start at the same place. But the point is, the Holy Ghost will start talking to you about the things that the Bible says to do. You want to hear the voice of the Holy Ghost, do what the Bible says because that's where he's leading you. Then he'll talk to you about some of the other things. After you develop the character and the confidence in God's word to handle the other things. Amen. Well, I've gone long enough. We'll just quit here. Can't ever claim to be finished. But we'll just stop. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for the great Holy Spirit. We thank you that he's our teacher. He's our guide. He's our helper. He's our comforter. He is the spirit of truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing the truth to our remembrance, the word of God to our remembrance, that we may be doers thereof. Now, Father, you know these people and you know their situations. You know there are dire situations that are represented here this morning. I thank you that the word of God is enough for each and every one of us. I thank you that the Holy Ghost leads them and gives them the answers that they need. But, Father, I also pray that if there's anything that we've said or done this morning that could be a help in them seeing 
that the answer is in the Word and not apart from it. That you would bring that to them as well. That you would solidify that in their knowledge. So that we wouldn't look to external sources to be our answer. But we would recognize that the power of the Word of God is the only thing that can put us over in life. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for the witness that is in each one of us that you're on our side and that you're our helper, that you'll see us through. May not come overnight, but God's word never fails. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. In Jesus' precious name, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Don't forget this evening at 5 o'clock is prayer school. Healing school is at 6. I know some of you have Super Bowl plans, and I understand. But we're going to be here. So if you can and would like to be with us, we invite you to do so. God bless you. Have a great day. We love you. You're dismissed.